The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast where your shortcut to being informed. In this very first episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we're looking at Hong Kong. We thought it was a good place to start as it's been in the news every day for the past few months, given the unrest there with pro-democracy protesters taking to the streets to make clear they don't want further influence from China. That's the top line. But when it comes to the context around the China-Hong Kong relationship, I know I, for one, don't know enough to speak with any confidence on it. So in this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we'll give you the background, starting with Hong Kong pre-Britain. We'll then have a look at what happened during the British lease period, and then the more recent history when it was handed back to China. And finally, how this all ties in with what's happening there now. Squeeze Shortcuts is your shortcut to more than the headlines. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, Hong Kong is bordered to the east, west and the south by the South China Sea. It sits on the main trade route to the far east, making it a naturally excellent port for trade with surrounding regions. It's that geography that in the 17th century made it attractive to the British. Let's start with this history, Claire, as this is what shaped what is now modern day Hong Kong. Yeah, let's just skip through the early days. So through the 17th and 18th century, there was a growing demand across Europe and in Britain for Chinese luxury goods. We're talking about things like tea and porcelain and silk, all the finer things in life. Britain, though, became quite concerned about this trade imbalance that was growing. They were taking a lot more from China than they were putting into the Chinese trade. So what they did was they grew a whole heap of opium in India and they Mm -hmm. shipped it across to China and that was illegal. Eventually, the Chinese powers that be put their foot down. That happened very notably in 1839 when the Chinese authorities seized over a thousand tonnes of opium from British merchants. That then turned into quite a brouhaha Mm. and we're into the opium wars. The opium wars went on for some time. There was two of them. A lot went down. But what was important in this context is that the Chinese eventually gave Hong Kong over to the British under an agreement that would see Britain hold a 99-year lease over Hong Kong. In this next section, we'll have a look at how Hong Kong developed over this time. With British rule comes the values of the West, that being democracy. So throughout the time that Hong Kong was leased to the British, it really thrived as an important trade and economic hub. Paint us a picture, Claire. What was life like for the people of Hong Kong during the period 1898 to 1997, that lease period? So that period included a whole lot of turmoil in China as well, and that saw mass immigration and refugees coming across the border into Hong Kong. That was quite a big thing. We then have the Japanese occupation in World War II, again, a pretty big thing. And back in British hands, it then developed a light industrial and textile manufacturing business, and it was quite notable for that. But it was really from the 1980s onwards to now that Hong Kong became a key financial centre. It sort of had a a really special role in that sort of East meets West kind of financial scene. So that's where it uh, it really made a name. But long story short, people living there became quite accustomed to those democratic and economic freedoms that having Britain as its administrator really brought to them. That's right. And as the end of the lease period came closer and closer, an agreement was needed and one was struck between British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and China that would see Hong Kong handed back to China, but with some important stipulations. Let's have a look now at post-1997 Hong Kong, the year that British lease ran out. 
As I said, it was 1997 when Hong Kong was handed back to China, along with a detailed agreement about how Hong Kong would be administered. The three main points were, one, that it was to have its own legal system, two, it would have multiple political parties, and three, the people had rights, including the right to freedom of assembly or the right to protest and free speech. Broad question. I'll accept a broad answer, Claire. (laughs) How has this played out in practice? Yeah, so what you've described is what's called the one country, two systems rule. And Beijing basically is responsible for Hong Kong's defence and foreign affairs. And as you said, Hong Kong has civil liberties to a certain degree. It has that independent judiciary and it also has unrestricted press. But what we know is from 1997 onwards, the protests that we're seeing now aren't the first. There was a movement in 2014 called the Umbrella Movement. And what sparked out mass protests in those days was what Hong Kongers saw as a sort of reneging by China on an agreement for free elections. So that was a big protest movement back in 2014. The one that we're seeing now is bigger, but the point is there's always been that friction between Hong Kong and China. So let's have a look at what we're seeing now in Hong Kong. In short, recent protests were instigated when a proposal was put forward by the Hong Kong administration that would allow criminals to be extradited to China and trialled under, as we've explained, a very different Chinese judicial system. That's right. And what we know about China's judicial system is it's quite opaque. There's not a lot of transparency there. People quite often go missing in their legal Mm. system. There's also accusations of torture and all sorts of things. So that's something that Hong Kongers are are really not looking to align themselves to. They don't want their citizens being at the whim of China to be prosecuted on what they see as serious criminal charges, which to their minds could include things like protesting other political crimes, all sorts of things around religion. So it's something that they're very protective about and their protectiveness, as we can see, over their legal system is ongoing. It's ongoing and it's it's not just the legal system. This has moved past that and to more just an anti-China movement by not all of Hong Kong, but a lot of Hong Kong. Yeah, and pro-democracy. Certainly there's some that are anti-China, but probably more broadly for that broad range of people that we're seeing coming out to protest is that they are very pro-democratic. So with that one country, two systems agreement running out in 2047, that's 28 years from now, a seemingly long time, but in the scheme of things, it's really not too far off. Would it be fair to say that this kind of instability is something we're likely to see a bit of? Well, looking at what's gone down, certainly in the last few months, you would have to say that that's probably correct. China is becoming quite assertive. We know that internationally, but particularly in its own backyard. Uh, And given that we're almost halfway through that arrangement between Hong Kong and China, that 50-year agreement, it'll be certainly something to watch as we go through the next few years as to how that relationship and those frictions are managed. And of course, this is all moving quite quickly at the moment. Plenty of news every day, new headlines, new stories coming out about what's happening in Hong Kong and how China is reacting. You can always listen to the Squeeze Today podcast to get your fix of daily news. One of the things we plan to do in each episode of Squiz Shortcuts is give you a recommendation on some further reading, further listening, some watching. Sometimes there'll be serious stuff, sometimes 
not so serious, Claire. This time around, I found a podcast by the BBC's World Service called The Inquiry. The episode from the 25th of July, it's a little bit old now, but still very useful, talks about what China might do in regards to Hong Kong and crystal balls on on what might happen. We'll put links to that recommendation in your episode notes. And that's your shortcut to Hong Kong, Claire. First one down. First one down. Many to come. Many Thanks to for come. joining us. Thanks for tuning in. Um, make sure you subscribe to Squeeze Shortcuts on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast app. Just search for Squeeze Shortcuts. We've got a few others lined up for the next few weeks, but if listening to this has given you an idea for a shortcut, don't hesitate to reach out to us at hello at thesqueeze.com.au. Keen to know what you're after. We'll catch you next time. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super. Sometimes it can feel like retirement is a long way off, but whether it's two years or 20 years away, it's important to make sure your super fund is working for you. Aware Super is one of Australia's largest super funds and offers heaps of free tools and tips on its website for Aussies looking to get their super sorted and put a plan in place for their retirement. Read the PDS and TMD at aware.com.au.